Well, in case you're just joining us, uh, we began a series together last week on love, and uh, we began talking about this primarily through our love languages. And uh, for most of us, or for many of us, this is a familiar concept. Uh, it's a book that a guy named Gary Chapman wrote 25 years ago, uh, that we all have been wired uniquely by God uh, to speak and to receive and to give love uh, through a particular love language. And we begin to discover what our love language is, and we begin to discover what the love language of the people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people that we are roommates with, the people that we, uh, God has entrusted us to raise uh, our children. When we begin to discover the love language of people in our lives uh, in a horizontal relationships, uh, it begins to have this unbelievable uh, impact. And uh, if you haven't taken the test yet to figure out what your love language is, I would encourage you to go to lakepoint.org uh, and you can discover what your love language is there. Uh, how many of us uh, have taken the test and you've realized that you are a words of affirmation person? Any words of affirmation people? Very cool. You all look fantastic today, by the way. Just want to get that out of the way. Did you get a haircut? It looks great. Uh, how many of us, you've taken the test, you realize you are a quality time individual? Quality time. Yes, this is mine as well. Uh, very nice. How many of us, you've taken the test, you realize you are a gifts person? Any gifts people here? If you're single, I'm doing this for you, okay? If you've had your eye on somebody, just kind of look around. <laughs> Don't be weird about it, but you know, you get it. Uh, how many of us, you are uh, acts of service? This is your primary love language. How many of us, you've taken the test, you realized you are a physical touch? This is your love language. These are the people that are still walking around shaking hands saying hello. And here's what I want to explore together today, that in the same way that when you discover your love language, it has this tremendous benefit to your horizontal relationships, the people you live with, uh, here's what I want to explore together today, that when you discover your love language, it can actually begin to have this tremendous impact on your vertical relationship uh, with your heavenly father as well. This is a book that Gary Chapman wrote uh, as a follow-up to his Love Languages book called God Speaks Your Love Language. And in it, his premise is basically that knowing your love language, the way that God has wired and designed and built you, it doesn't just have a benefit this way, it can begin to have a benefit this way. And I wanna explore that together today and I wanna expand on that. Uh, and here's sort of the idea and here's sort of the premise that God has wired you and God has created you so uniquely uh, to give and to receive love. And God is such a personal God, and God is such an intimate God. This is what's so beautiful about the Christian faith, that God longs to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And God wants to, to give love towards you and to you through your primary love language, that you would begin to feel loved by God and from God uh, through the love language that he's wired you to give and receive love through. And on the other side of the coin, that God uh, speaks a love language and has a love language, and all these love languages are part of, of God's nature and how, he, uh, and how God loves and receives love himself. And so God wants to receive love uh, from all of us uh, through our love languages, and primarily maybe for you, through the way that he's wired and built and designed you to give and receive love. Because this is what's so unique and beautiful about the Christian faith, that God longs to connect with each and every one of us. 
This is the beautiful message in the heart of Christianity, that God longs and desires to connect with each and every one of his children. doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what your story is, doesn't matter how badly you've blown it in life, uh, that the, the hands that took nails on a cross reach for you and reach for me, the same hands that carved out the oceans, uh, long to embrace and long to be in relationship. God longs to connect with each and every one of his children. Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians, Colossians 1.16. He says, each and every one of us have been made by God and we've also been made for God. And there's two incredible truths right there. The first is you were made by God, but the second is you were made for God. And most people end up walking and wandering through life, not really quite sure why they're here. And the, the scriptures uh, state it plainly that you've been made as a spiritual being for a purpose. You've been made for relationship with God, to connect with God your heavenly father. And yet the problem is, and this is true in our culture, in our world, and for many of us in this room, uh, that we go through such, so much of our life disconnected from God. The thing that we were made to do, we end up disconnected from God. And oftentimes, even for those of us that are Christians, uh, we go through long stretches or long periods in our faith where we just disconnected from God. Uh, we often say it this way, uh, well, I just don't feel my faith uh, right now. And uh, we're, we're trying to, to, to get to something, some sort of problem there. And not that you're supposed to live in this sort of perpetual state of emotional high uh, as a Christian. Uh, but what we're saying there is there's just this disconnect between me and God. It feels like my prayers are bouncing. I just don't feel connected with God. And I believe that one of the reasons why so many people uh, end up in church and outside of church disconnected from God is because we learn to connect with God. For many of us, this has been true. You've learned to connect with God. You've been taught, maybe in your church or your family, growing up as, as a Christian, your denomination, you were taught to connect with God outside of your primary love language. And you were taught there's sort of one or two ways that you can connect with God, and if those one or two ways don't work for you, then you're just not a spiritual person. You're just not a good person. And uh, for, for many of us, I've talked to many of you, you grew up in a, in a, in a home where uh, singing or going to church and singing songs and worshiping God was central uh, to your religious experience. And some of you told me stories of uh, getting dragged to church as a kid and having to sing for hours and hours and hours. And uh, what is worship uh, and worshiping God? What is it essentially? It's words of affirmation. It's declaring to God and singing to God, giving a, a sense of thanks and gratitude for who God is and for what God has done. And if that's not your primary love language, and that's how you've been taught to connect with God, and if that doesn't work for you, then you're just not a spiritual person, then in the same way in your marriage or in the same way in any relationship, if you're a gifts person and someone keeps bringing you, uh, you know, words of affirmation, there's just going to be this disconnect. The same thing that's true in our horizontal relationships is true in our vertical relationship with God. And yet I've met many of you as well, that you grew up in a church where you were taught words of affirmation, worshiping God through words was uh, primary, and it is really important, we're commanded to do it, or you were taught to, to spend quality time with God through having a quiet time and praying and prayer, and those things, you did them, but they just weren't your love language, and then you went on your first mission trip, and through acts of service, which is your love language, you began to connect with God and express your love from God and feel loved by God in a completely different way in your faith. It was almost in that moment when you began to serve and express your love for God through your love language. It was almost as if your faith went from, uh, from black and white to being in color. It was just a completely different way of connecting to God. And God wants to connect with you and God wants to be loved by you uh, through the way that he's designed and built you to give 
and to receive love. I've always loved this quote by Albert Einstein. I think any quote by Albert Einstein is a good quote to read. But this is a quote from Albert Einstein. He says this, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. I I found that more humorous than you did, apparently. Uh, It's so true. Uh, I think that that's been true for many of us in terms of the education system. Many of us, this truth that we're going to talk about today, you experienced this uh, as a kid growing up in school. You felt like you were dumb or you felt like you weren't as smart as him or her. And it wasn't that you were dumb, it was just you just weren't learning or you weren't figuring out sort of what your niche was. You, you hadn't hit the, the, the right click or the right dial yet. And then there came this moment later in life where you realized you had this hidden passion or this hidden talent, and you just realized after all, oh, I'm not dumb. I just, I just wasn't good at math, you know. <laughs> I just wasn't good at English. And you were judging yourself based off of the wrong standards and the wrong measuring stick. The same thing happens spiritually. I believe everybody is made for a divine connection with God. Everybody is made to experience a loving relationship with God. It's what you've been created for, by God and for God. We were all made for that purpose. And yet for many of us, we spend our life judging ourselves, going, well, I guess I'm not a spiritual person. I guess I'm not a good person because in the ways that I've been taught to connect with God, it just doesn't work for me. And for many of us, you're currently, or you have in the past, you've judged yourself based on the wrong measuring stick to determine whether or not you are a spiritual person. Everybody is a spiritual being and a spiritual person. And in the same way as as a kid or at 13 years old or at 14 years old, uh, you discover you don't like going to school, but you really love to dance. You can't just drop out of school and say, well, I'm just going to go twirl now. Uh, (laughs) it, It doesn't work that way. You would become a very shallow dancer in time. You have to have a depth and a breadth, and the same thing is true in your faith. If you discover, well, I'm not a words of affirmation person, I'm just going to, you know, just go on mission trips and serve through acts of service. Uh, it, It doesn't work that way. We need all these different love languages. We need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in order to begin to have a faith that has a depth and a breadth to it. But there might be one in particular, the way you've been designed and built, that just makes your faith flourish and find life in new in exciting ways. If you have a Bible, let's open it together to the Gospel of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 12, is where we are going to begin. Mark chapter 12. We are going to begin in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along with this passage in the back of your worship guide, or it's going to be on the screens as well. Matthew, Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law, this is Jesus and a group of Pharisees and religious leaders uh, are about to have a conversation. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Uh, Now, one of the things you notice about Jesus is he's often offering teachings, he's doing healings, miracles, casting out demons, but he's offering teachings over and over again. And these teachings that he offers, uh, generally he's not just plucking ideas out of thin air, what he's doing is he's entering into the religious debates of his day. 
in this world, in the first century Jewish world, uh, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament are central to life. It's not as it is in America often where uh, we go to church on Sunday and it's sort of a compartmentalized experience and then we continue on with our week. Uh, they would debate the scriptures. They would talk about the scriptures at town hall meetings. This was just central to life. And so any commandment from the Old Testament, uh, they would have it memorized. They would be talking about it. There were 613 laws uh, that a good Torah-observing Jew was supposed to obey in order to find good standing before God. And so they would discuss them. And uh, for instance, the Torah had commanded, the Old Testament had commanded that you were supposed to love your neighbor. And so there was a debate that was going on, a, a debate that was central to life in the first century world about who your neighbor actually is. Is it the person who lives next door to you? Is it the person two doors down? Is someone in another country? Is that considered your neighbor? Uh, in fact, when Jesus, it was, it was basically a debate about how to get out of loving certain people. <laughs> and what Jesus does when he offers the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, he's not plucking that out of thin air. He's actually offering his opinion on who your neighbor actually is. And what Jesus is doing in the story of the Good Samaritan is he's widening the circle on who your neighbor is and who you are supposed to love. Another debate that was central in Jewish life is what is the greatest commandment? Of all the Old Testament commandments and laws, the 613, is there a law, is there a rule that encapsulates or uh, summarizes all the other laws? And rabbis and teachers and prophets would weigh in on this discussion. There was a, a rabbi in the time of Jesus, a very well-known rabbi in this region named Hillel. Hillel taught that the greatest commandment was if someone's done something hateful to you, uh, don't do it to somebody else. It was believed that Micah, the prophet Micah, that his sort of summary of the greatest commandment was uh, Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. This was sort of uh, the way they believed he interpreted and summarized the, all the laws. It was believed Isaiah, Isaiah 56.1, uh, that we should maintain justice. This was Isaiah's idea or sort of uh, was summarized as Isaiah's way of saying this is the greatest commandment. And so uh, rabbis, people weighed in on this topic. And so what Jesus is about to do is he's about to enter into a discussion uh, that would be happening on the street corner, that would be happening everywhere. What is the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus says, verse 29. The most important one, answers Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, the Lord our God is one. O-N-E, not W-O-N. And uh, this sounds like an interesting response, was, well, of course, but we're talking about what the greatest commandment is. Uh, of course we believe this, Jesus. And what he's doing here, what Jesus is doing, is he's actually quoting a line from something called the Shema. If you, uh, in fact, let's just say that we're together, Shema, it's kind of fun to say. There you go, well, we're going to try it on the count of three, okay? But I like it. If you're in the search of a good baby name, if you're pregnant, Shema, let's just, might be a good one. Um, let's say it on the count of three, Shema, one, two, three. Very well, that was nice, that was good, sounded good. Well done. Uh, Shema, it was a prayer that good Torah-observing Jews repeated twice a day. They would repeat it in the morning, they would repeat it at night. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, and it was a way of basically uh, reminding yourself, the Lord our God is one. Uh, Jesus would have said this prayer in the morning and at night. The audience that he's discussing and debating this, they would have been familiar with this line. He's not inventing something new. Uh, he's essentially saying something that they all believed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And they say this because this is true even in our world. We all live with this sense uh, that things are broken. 
Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a spiritual person, uh, you, you talk in this way, you use this language that uh, you talk about, well, I'm, I'm from a broken home. When you've gone through a relational riff and your heart hurts, you say things like, well, I'm just heartbroken. Uh, we all live with this sense that things are not one, things are not whole, something has gone off the rails. When circumstances have derailed you or caused you pain, you say things like, well, I'm just trying to pick up the pieces of my life. We all live with this sense that things are not one. And so for a good uh, Torah-observing Jew, uh, they would start their day with this declaration, uh, in a world where everything else has fallen apart, not our God. Our God is still one. The Lord our God is one. Our God is whole. And so Jesus says this line from the Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And then he continues on, and he continues. This was the introductory line to the Shema that he says. And then he continues on, and he says the next line of this prayer. He says, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Verse 31, the second is this, and he quotes a line from Leviticus 19:18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some modern translations read, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no, so lame, thank you for laughing. There is no commandment greater than these. And so what Jesus does is he brings it back to loving God. He brings it back to our horizontal and our vertical relationships. Hillel has said it's about not doing something hateful. Micah has said it's about walking humbly. Uh, Isaiah has said it's about maintaining justice. For Jesus, he brings it back to this idea that all the law, all the rules, what it's all about is about loving God and about loving other people. That you could summarize it all through this idea and through this lens of love. Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees, don't let your law get bigger than your love. We've all met Christians somewhere along the way where their law, their rules, their good behavior becomes a block to loving other people. We've all met Christians along the way where, where the law has become a block to loving God. And Jesus is bringing them back because the law ultimately is powerless to transform and to change people. It is the love of God that opens us up to being different kinds of people, receiving the love of God and beginning to love God and being in this harmonious relationship with God. This is what makes us whole. This is what can actually begin to put us back together. And so Jesus brings it back to this idea of love, loving God, loving others. He commands us, this is what we are supposed to do. We've all met Christians, haven't we, that lean more in the direction of law. And the law, ultimately, it's not going to change you. What it's going to make you do is it's going to make you want to want everybody else to change. You've experienced this before with other Christians or religious people. But what actually can begin to transform the heart and make you a different kind of person is opening yourself up to be loved by God. Hillel has said it's about this. Micah said it's about this. Isaiah says this. And Jesus comes and says, it's all about love. And so if you've been wired and built by God to give and receive love in a particular way, and if Jesus says the most central and important thing that you can do with your life is to love God and love other people, then how you begin to receive love from God and how you give love back to God is of incredible importance. 
If you were a words of affirmation person, notice that through all these different lenses and ways uh, of your love languages, God has chosen, God has spoken your love language. If you're a words of affirmation person, notice from the very beginning of the scriptures, this is how the Bible begins, Genesis chapter one. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if the Bible's a movie, it starts with God. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so in line one, we meet God. In line two of the Bible, we meet the spirit of God. In line three, notice what happens. And it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The words of God have this amazing ability to speak things into existence. I could speak to a light switch all day, let there be light, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> Nothing's gonna happen, I mean, just nothing. It's just going to, but God speaks, let there be light, and the words of God bring light. They have this creative and this energy, they have this force to them that can, that can make light. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks into tombs. Jesus speaks into the tomb of Lazarus and he's dead, and he walks out of the tomb. The words of God can bring light, and they bring life. If you are a words of affirmation person, when you read the Bible, a way that you will begin to feel the love of God in an important and an integral way in your heart is to have a highlighter and begin to read the affirming words of God that are spoken to you and about you all throughout the scriptures. In our culture, we always begin our identity based on who we're not. In our world, we're constantly, we, get, we, we do this more and more the older we get. We start thinking about who we're not. This starts at a very early age, uh, on the playground at school. I guess I'm not the fast one. I guess I'm not the tall one. I guess I'm not the pretty one. I'm not the smart sister. I'm not the talented guy on the football field. I'm not the one at school who's gonna get the scholarship. We build our identities in this world around who we're not. In the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, God is always reminding you and letting you know who you actually are. When you step into the presence of Jesus, who you're not ceases to be interesting. What's fascinating about you is who you are, the affirming words of God that are spoken over you. You're loved by God. You have the same power inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You're holy, you're in Christ. These are the words of God that are spoken over you and me. Words of affirmation over and over again. If you're a words person, if you're a words of affirmation person, a way that you will express your faith. And this is true for all of us. And, and if you're not a words person, it's still an important way to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you worship God, when we come into this room and we gather and we sing and declare of the goodness of God, it's a way we love God with our words, the way we've been wired to express love. David in the Psalms is a words of affirmation person, isn't he? Over and over again, what is David doing? He's declaring to God a sense of gratitude, a sense of thanks. God, your love endures forever. David declares this over and over and over again. It's important to love God through our words of affirmation. If you are a quality time person, uh, the scriptures start off with a scene where apparently God is a quality time kind of, uh, kind of God. If you have a Bible, Genesis chapter three, verse eight. And this is this little window of time in between the fall and between the curse. Adam and Eve have just sinned, and it says, then the man and his wife 
heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, I love this, where are you? It was almost as if God and Adam had this appointment, meet me by the old oak tree at 3.30, and Adam was just a no-show. And God's bummed. He's go, where are you? I thought we were going to hang out. I thought we were going to spend time. I thought we were going to connect, and you are not here. These, this, this scene, it's just who God is. God wants to spend time with us. God wants to dwell with us uh, through prayer, through uh, us reading God's word. He wants to speak to us, and he wants us to speak to him. He wants to have this intimate connection with each and every one of us. When I uh, skip a devotion, when I don't have uh, time with God, when I haven't carved out space in my life to pray, I'm always reminded of these three words. Uh, where are you? <laughs> God making this announcement, God wants to spend time with each and every one of us. And this is all throughout the scriptures. These three words, the whole Bible essentially hangs on these three words because from this moment forward, God is on a hunt to spend time with mankind. He wants to be involved down here. He keeps entering into the story. We often read the Bible uh, as a book about if we read it and do it, one day we can go up. But the Bible is this story about how God keeps coming down and he keeps spending time with us. And even in the New Testament, it's finally as if God says, oh, I can't take it anymore. Give me one of those human suits. I'm going down there. And through the person of Jesus, he enters in and he moves into the neighborhood because God wants to spend time with his creation. Uh, this is my love language. And I've noticed in my life, when I don't spend time with God, when I'm not uh, regularly praying and reading the scriptures, I get agitated easily. There's just something in my heart that feels off. If this is not your love language, uh, it's important to carve out space and time and to, to love God through uh, what, what is one of God's love languages. He wants you to express love back to him by spending time with him. If you are a gifts person, central to the Christian faith ever since the beginning is this idea that God wants to give gifts. If you have a Bible, let's look at this scene really briefly from Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, a couple pages over. He says this, if you're a gifts person, he says to Abraham, as he begins to form his nation and his people, he says, I will make you into a great nation. And he's talking before Israel, before, uh, any, before Jesus on the scene, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He says, he makes this announcement to Abraham. And this is very strange uh, in our world, but it's really strange in the world thousands of years ago uh, because this is a world of tribes and tribal people uh, do not think in terms of blessing other tribes. Tribes think in terms of preserving the blessing, safety for the tribe. And God says, no, from the very beginning, my people are going to be blessed by me as your God. And I want you to bless other people, be a gift to other people. You have not been blessed by God to preserve the blessing but to give it away. This is central to the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. God is a generous God. And he calls us to be generous kind of people. If you are a gifts person, if this is how you've been wired by God, you will notice that often your faith flourishes. It comes to life in a new way when through your money and through your generosity, you use your stu you steward your money to advance the kingdom of God. You give it to, to church work. You give it to mission work. You give it to do something to advance the kingdom of God. This will often be, uh, if you're a gifts person, the thing that makes your faith come to life 
in a powerful way. Uh, at a deeper level than that, if you're a gifts person, and this is true for all of us, you've been given a gift by God uh, in terms of your talents, uh, maybe logistics, maybe in terms of teaching, shepherding people, and if you're not being a good steward of those gifts, and you're not using them to advance the kingdom of God in, in whatever way, whatever capacity God's calling you to do that, uh, you will notice this disconnect in your faith uh, because God wants to be loved through the use of your gifts. Uh, this is true for all of us. If you are an acts of service person, uh, the New Testament is obviously this reminder that God comes to serve. Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples this after he announces he's going to be crucified. And they're kind of clueless as to why. He says, for even the Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God came and he's speaking our love language. Jesus comes and he comes to serve. The New Testament hinges on the acts of service of Jesus. This is the picture that he gives us. Uh, for many of us, I've talked to many of you, uh, that your faith laid dormant until the moment came when you went on a mission trip, when you handed a sack lunch to someone, when you went to inner city Dallas and you began to serve, when you began to get involved in missions around uh, Rockwall, around the other areas uh, local to us. This was the moment where your faith, it became real and tangible when you began to serve. And it's because it's your love language. And we're obviously all called to love God through acts of service. If you are a physical touch person, uh, God comes in the form of a body and he touches, he heals, he raises people from the dead, he enters into the stench uh, of this world. He is in the middle of it and he says this, uh, John describes it this way in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Uh, Jesus comes and he knows that uh, Christianity, faith, it can't just be information that sits in your brain. It has to become tangible. It has to become tactile. And so he shows up in a body so that he can demonstrate. And it's not just going to be theory and it's not just going to be philosophy, but it is going to be a tangible expression. And if you're a physical touch person, you need to always be finding ways that your faith isn't just information. It's not just sermons. It's not just sitting in circles and having discussions, but it becomes tactile and it becomes real. Uh, faith needs structure. It needs uh, community. It needs uh, serving. It needs ways that it's expressing itself through and in the physical and the material world. Uh, God wants us all to love in all these different ways. He wants us to love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength through all these different ways. And he wants us to receive love in all these different ways. If you have a son or a daughter and you pray and you hope that they grow up and they love God, and you're doing everything you can to bring them to church. And you're doing everything you can to pray with them and to, to make sure they connect with their Heavenly Father. How much differently would you parent them? And how much differently would you point them in the direction of God? If you began to realize in terms of how God has built and wired them in their love language, how would you begin to connect them and point them and angle them to love God and to be loved by God through their love language? For many of us, uh, you have judged yourself and said, well, I'm not a spiritual person. But God has wired you uniquely to connect with him. 
And perhaps in and through your love language, you can begin to have this divine connection and this, this amazing bond with God where your faith flourishes and you begin to recognize that you have been wired uniquely to give and receive love and God wants to give and receive love through your love language. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you showed up in the form of a body. You, you translated yourself to us. God, I thank you that you have uh, wired each of us uniquely to give and to receive love. And I just pray today, Father, uh, would we all realize that we've been made to connect with you? That's why we're here. We've been made by God and we've been made for God. Thank you for those two incredible truths. And thank you, Jesus, that when you came into this world, you didn't bring it back uh, to more law and to more rules. Uh, you brought it back to what is central, to being loved by God and to loving God, to this vertical relationship. God, you said this is the most important thing. And as people who have been wired and built by you, God, I pray we would give and receive love to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.